Welcome once more to the History Obscura Reading Room. As always, I am your hostess, Mandy Gardner. Now, you're an intellectual lot, n'est-ce pas? I thought so. If I asked you to recite the Pythagorean Theorem, would you immediately remember that A squared plus B squared equals C squared? Would you at least have visions of triangles? I'm going to assume the answer is yes, and if not, here's a quick review. This equation describes the relationship of the three sides of a right triangle. To clarify, a right triangle is the sort of triangle with one corner at a perfect 90 degree angle. As long as you know the length of two sides, you can use those numbers to calculate the length of the third side. The point is, this mathematical discovery was extremely helpful in developing not only mathematics itself, but architecture and the sciences. A squared plus B squared equals C squared is the reason that most of us know the name Pythagoras. This is his story. Once upon a time, in the 5th century BCE, Pythagoras of Samos lived on the island of Samos. Samos is in the eastern part of Greece, in the Aegean Sea and just a mile away from the coast of Turkey. It was on Samos that Pythagoras spent his youth and early adulthood, and he was educated there in the early Greek manner. Though poor families could not afford to send their children to school, the sons of noble families, as was Pythagoras, were sent to lessons or set up with a tutor once they were seven years old. An educated boy, young Pythagoras would have learned how to write using a stylus and a board covered in wax. His reading lessons would have focused on memorizing epic poems like those of Homer and Hesiod. Other lessons included basic mathematics, military formations and exercises, plus music, poetry, and dance. Primarily interested in music and numbers, Pythagoras became a teacher and worked on the island of his birth for many years. It was relatively late in his life, around the age of 40, that he began to travel, first to Rome and then Memphis, Egypt. It was during his time in Egypt that the philosophical mathematician learned some of the most complex forms of math that he would ever see. There, admitted to practice amongst the Egyptian monks at the Temple of Diospolis, Pythagoras learned the finer points of higher calculations and the potential for spiritual links between the various sciences. During his extensive travels throughout the known world, Pythagoras learned a great deal and also witnessed a lot of struggle and hardship. It has been supposed that he left Samos during the rule of the tyrant Polycrates due to a dislike of the former's regime, and when abroad in Egypt, the tyrant of Samos joined the king of Persia, Cambyses II, in war against Egypt. In the year 525 BCE, Polycrates sent 40 of his ships to support the Persian fleet against Egypt. Cambyses II successfully invaded capturing the Egyptian cities of Heliopolis and Memphis, and during the warfare Pythagoras was taken prisoner. The
the later Syrian philosopher Iamblichus wrote the following explanation of what transpired with the prisoner. Pythagoras was transported by the followers of Cambyses to Babylon as a prisoner of war. Whilst he was there, he gladly associated with the Magoi and was instructed in their sacred rites and learnt about a very mystical worship of the gods. He also reached the acme of perfection in arithmetic and music and the other mathematical sciences taught by the Babylonians. It has been suggested by some historians that it was actually from the Babylonians that Pythagoras learned his greatest contribution to mathematics, that crucial theorem. Whether Pythagoras conceived the theorem himself or adapted it from known mathematics in Babylon and Egypt is unclear, but regardless, he returned to Samos in about 520. By that time, the tyrant Polycrates had been killed and King Cambyses had died as well. Exactly how the mathematician and philosopher achieved his freedom is a big mystery. Did he make some useful friends in Babylon, where he clearly had a relatively free reign? Or did the deaths of Egypt's rivals signify the end of the hostage situation? Perhaps there was some daring and undocumented escape. However it was managed, Pythagoras most likely returned to the island of his birth to find it under the control of Darius of Persia. Once there, he determined to create a unique school under his own authority in which he and his colleagues and students could develop a unifying theory of the universe. He called his school the Semicircle. This all-encompassing search for a unifying link between the various philosophies of the day consumed Pythagoras and his pupils. Though other philosophers were also pursuing such knowledge, the Pythagorean approach was singular in that it attempted to find a way to relate literature, mathematics, astronomy, and music under one theory. Each of these were very important parts of the local education, and the logical question for many philosophers was how did all of these important pieces of existence fit together? Generally, it was agreed amongst them that the secret would be revealed in mathematics. There were many reasons for this assumption. Math could be used to measure reality. It could help phrase universal questions tell you whether the Earth were closer to the Sun or the Moon, and even describe musical notes and compositions. In an effort to perfectly link all his fields of knowledge, Pythagoras posited that the Sun, Moon, stars, and all the planets emitted a specific musical tone. Though he could not hear this hypothetical tone, he imagined that the solar system was full of beautiful music, all in perfect harmony with all established physical laws. If only he could discover the elusive link between all things, Pythagoras must have hoped that one day he would be able to overhear the enchanting music of the universe. The classes and study sessions of the semicircle were open to both females and males, at a time when only males were generally admitted to formal lessons. The men and women who studied with Pythagoras did not only pursue more complex mathematics and the universal connection between all things, but also metempsychosis. 
That is, the transmigration of the soul after death into a new body, animal or human. This belief in reincarnation became a central feature of the growing cult of Pythagoras. Iamblichus wrote the following about the Pythagorean school. He formed a school in the city of Samos, the semicircle of Pythagoras, which is known by that name even today, in which the Samians hold political meetings. They do this because they think one should discuss questions about goodness, justice, and expediency in this place, which was founded by the man who made all of these subjects his business. Outside the city, he made a cave, the private site of his own philosophical teaching, spending most of the night and daytime there, and doing research into the uses of mathematics. He tried to use his symbolic method of teaching, which was similar in all respects to the lessons he had learned in Egypt. The Samians were not very keen on this method, and treated him in a rude and improper manner. Pythagoras was dragged into all sorts of diplomatic missions by his fellow citizens and forced to participate in public affairs. He knew that all the philosophers before him had ended their days on foreign soil, so he decided to escape all political responsibility, alleging as his excuse, according to some sources, the contempt the Samians had for his teaching method. So, apparently fed up with the short-sightedness and closed-mindedness of the Samians, Pythagoras left Samos once more and established himself in southern Italy. There, he settled in the Greek town of Crotona and grew his school exponentially. Much more than a simple school, the semicircle was a center of philosophy and the burgeoning Pythagorean religion. Members of the school followed strict rules that mimicked those of the Egyptian priests. Much of the information discussed in the school fell subject to secret codes, and Pythagoras did not allow the use of animal skins for clothing. He also forbade eating beans. This probably sounds a little ridiculous, but it was based on the Egyptian belief that beans were toxic, which some strains certainly were. There are, however, rumors that Pythagoras believed beans and humans had evolved from the same ancestor, therefore making it cannibalistic to eat beans and murderous to do them any harm. Pythagoras functioned as the master of his school, and he and his followers lived together on the premises. They followed a vegetarian diet and had no personal belongings, but shared the space and resources of the group amongst themselves. These were the inner elite of what had most certainly become a cult, and they followed the teachings and rules of Pythagoras to a T. There were others, however, who lived in their own homes and ate as they pleased, but visited the school and participated in discussions there. There were at least six fundamental tenets of the Pythagorean cult, and those are as follows. Number one, all things are numbers. Mathematics is the basis for everything. Two, the soul resides in the brain and is immortal. It moves from one being to another through a series of reincarnations until it becomes pure. Three, 
Numbers have personalities. Four. The world depends upon the interaction of opposites, such as male and female, fast and slow. Five. Certain symbols have a mystical significance. And six. All members of the society should observe strict loyalty and secrecy. Pythagoras believed that the purification of the soul could be achieved through the pursuit of music and mathematics. The semicircle members researched and proved many of the fundamental laws of geometry, including the relationships between angles, area, and proportion. Pythagoras taught his students that the Earth was a sphere. In the center of the universe, and that the sphere was in fact the most perfect solid shape in existence. Based on this belief, the Pythagorean model of the universe was comprised of spherical planets that moved in purely circular patterns. A lifelong musical aficionado and lute player, Pythagoras also discovered the relationship between mathematics and music. Having studied the lute strings very carefully during his youth, he learned that to produce harmony between two identical vibrating strings, their lengths must correspond to a whole number ratio. For example, two strings that measure 12 inches and 24 inches would vibrate in harmony because their lengths have a whole number ratio of one to two. Within the semicircle, it was discovered that this special ratio could be applied to other musical instruments. Not just the lyre. The semicircle cult thrived despite a great deal of negative gossip and hatred in Crotona and beyond. The members of the group became content in their position in the town and started reaching out to other Greeks and Italians, preaching the merits of vegetarianism and higher education. For most common people, these lectures were insulting and unnecessary. Which led to animosity between the two groups. Pythagoras taught and believed as he pleased until the age of about eighty, when there are records that an angry mob set fire to his school. Reports of the great mathematician's actual death at this time are varied, but it seems his life almost definitely came to an end through violence. His philosophies and theories were so compelling that for hundreds of years after his death in about 490 BCE, the Pythagorean cult survived. Members persisted in their search for mathematical and philosophical unity, while simultaneously avoiding meat in their diets and animal products in their daily regimens. As much later as the 19th century, vegetarianism was still referred to as the Pythagorean diet. I don't know about you, but I'd certainly enjoy being known as one who partakes of the Pythagorean diet. It sounds exceptionally intellectual, except for that nonsense about beans. Namaste, friends, and good night. 